comments and Harold would refer to him and, and I'm like, wow, I'm like sitting like at like the lead table. I'm like, I hope Harold doesn't go around the table and call on all of us. But it didn't because Larry Larry was the focal point of the table. And then I as I got to meet him, I come to find out find out why. So from that point to the present, we've just been developing a friendship. Larry pastors out in Colorado, a place called Joyland, which is a hybrid church of both uh, online and people present. And um, Larry also is a regular on the Tuesday night Gafka calls that we do. And I've just, over this past year in particular, it's just been uh, just awesome, the, the dialogue that's coming out of those Tuesday night meetings. And so Larry was able to come out and be with us for a couple days. So he's going to speak this morning, and then he'll be with us uh, again tomorrow night at Chat and Chew. But one of the things that I've really come to appreciate is at a, um, as, as we are in this reformation that we're in, and the kingdom is moving the way that it's moving, I think it was probably back in, 19, in I don't know, 2016, possibly, when one of the things that was really on my heart was at, with every new reformation and the kingdom advancing, it requires new vocabulary because certain words have to fall off because they've been corrupted in the previous use. And, and so we were trying to explain many things that we were encountering and we couldn't find right words. And you put a word to it and by, oh yeah, I know just what you mean. And they would tell you what just happened to you. And you went, you have no idea. That's, that word can't, I can't use that word anymore. And then you struggled to bring new words in because the words that we say have impact. And picking wrong words are as detrimental as using outdated words. And so there's always that tension as the kingdom is advancing, how do we actually articulate what we're actually encountering and seeing and what God is speaking? So there, we live in that tension, and we've been living in that tension ever since. One of the things I really appreciate with Larry, and every time we get together and get a chance to talk, new vocabulary gets created. And we play with words constantly. And so if you, if you listen to a conversation that to two of us or maybe a few others, we spend as much time going, I don't know how to say it. I feel it. I'm experiencing it. I can't find the word. And we keep talking and new words emerge. And I, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that process. It's, it's just fun to interact with, with people like Larry, people like Doug Johnson and others, and um, where, um, how do I say this? Um, Theology can't be in the driver's seat. The Spirit of God is in the driver's seat. But theology has to come along to bring the definition to what we're experiencing it, to what we're experiencing. And as uh, Diane said earlier about a cliche, the value of a cliche is that it's something I can remember and it's something that allows me to say something that I couldn't figure out how to say myself. Theology provides that type of platform. And just like building new vocabulary, articulating the theology of the hour that we're living in is not an easy task. Because again, theology has consequences. If we get it wrong, it's gonna impact a whole generation. If we get it right, it liberates the generation. So that being said, Larry, let's, let's give a house welcome to Larry McKnight, a very dear friend. Yeah, there we go. Um, you guys are two hours ahead of me, and I'm still, I could still be on that schedule, so <laughs> do, do me as possible. What is your name, brother? Rob? Okay, because I'm going to... Um, wow. 
<laughs> okay, so. So, so uh, that is a very generous uh, introduction. Thank you. It, and and I, I do know what you're saying. It, it is true. We do sit around. There's a, there's a blend of revelation and humility that leads to understanding. And um, so the reason, uh, Rob, that I wanted to mention is what you shared, uh, all of what you shared, and a number of the other things that, that went on. Um, I, have, I have two ways I want to characterize today. One is, uh, if you've ever read The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, anybody read that book? All right, so uh, he says something that, when I first read it, was kind of controversial. The four loves are uh, agape, storge, eros, and uh, phileo, phileo, friendship love. And he, he made the declaration in the book that friendship is the highest form of love. And that was kind of shocking to me when I, you know, I was young when I read it and out of Bible school, and agape was the highest form of love because it was kind of that uh, love that God has. But then theologically, you talk about theological concepts, but, but agape carried the definition when I got out of a disinterested kind of love. And what they were trying to say is it wasn't a love that was self-motivated by what you're going to give me. So I was going to love you whether you love me or not. I understood the term, but I realized when Lewis was talking about that, um, that <laughs> that was one of those theological explanations that may have served a, uh, a narrow purpose, but it basically worked to disconnect us from God. So God's love for me was a disconnected thing. It wasn't a passionate thing like a father. It wouldn't be with an embrace or anything along those lines. And so uh, anyway... One of the statements he made about friendship as the highest form of love is that when you're with your friends, you always feel like you're among your betters. Mm -hmm. And that has stuck with me my whole life, and I feel that way around you. And I feel that way here in the house. So I bring greetings from Joyland, and I wish I could get all our folks, and there's room for all our folks this morning <laughs> if we were to get them all at one time. Uh, and I, I just would love it to have them sit here and experience the life of your community and the life of your body. It's really, really great. And uh, they'll have a, everybody will have an excuse to watch this when it gets posted because they'll try to honor me in doing that, which it's going to be more important that they see you guys. So that's, that's, that's one thing. Uh, yeah, so I feel like I'm among my betters, and I'm extremely honored by that introduction, by the opportunity to be here with you. And then the other thing I want to say is what you said is so precisely what the Lord asked me to, to, think, to share today, that I don't feel like I have ever had such a redundant message in my entire life. So I, I have no, I, I will just do it. And, uh, you screwed the whole, you screwed worship up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was absolutely incredible. All right, so here goes, here goes. I have a, a few uh, pretty familiar scriptures that I want to uh, share with you to lead up to a point. And the point is, is uh, the one that you made, Rob. So if, I if, know, I that's okay. If I, if I keel over or something before it's over, just play back what he said, and, and that'll, that'll be fine. All right, so I'm going to talk about belief. And I actually titled this, uh, Belief, My Duty or my opportunity. And so that's kind of the essence of what, what we're talking about here. Uh, in in uh, John chapter 5, no, chapter 6, there's this dialogue where Jesus said that the people are coming to him not because of what they, no, but because he fed them. You know? and, and, and then they ask him this question in John chapter 6, verse 28. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Now, all of you have heard that scripture, right? So th this is kind of a path. There could be a dozen of them. But this is a path I want to introduce us to the concept of belief. But I want to uh, note something. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. There are two common words 
in the New Testament for the, that get translated in. One of them is ain, and that almost exclusively means in. The other word that's used here is the word ace, and that almost exclusively, I can't find, as a matter of fact, a single instance in, in when that word ace is used in the New Testament that it doesn't mean into. And so it carries a relationship with the destination, into. And I don't, you know, I'm frequently mildly disappointed in certain translations, and I, I spend a lot of time with the Young's Literal just to check some stuff out, and then, you know, I'm, I'm not a scholar in, in Greek in any way, but I do own a computer and a couple of Bible programs, and so, but think of the difference in what this says here. It says, this is the work of God. This is Jesus answering, what must we do to work the works of God? This is the work of God that you believe in him, okay? So then that characterizes what we've faced for centuries in the Western church is that we have a, 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 a description of who Jesus is, and we're supposed to agree with it. That's what is constituted. And when you agree with that and confess it, that's when you get saved. And da, da, da. But do you understand, that is an entirely different thing than exercising your belief to engage in, to be in Jesus. Okay, so that's the kernel of the difference that I want to talk about. And so then for, over in John 14, which is um, another incredibly familiar set of passages to most of us, but it's one of my 14, 15, 13, 14, 15, 16. We spent a lot of time there in the study with Fountain and stuff like that. Uh, let me just read, read this a little bit. This is in John 14. Jesus is talking with Philip, and, and uh, Philip says, Boy, if you show us the Father, that's enough. And he says, Have I been with you so long? So it's John 14. I'll start in verse 10. He says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And so, again, he's talking about, now I don't actually know whether that's ace or in. Uh, I probably should have looked it up. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. So regardless of whether that's ace or in, the picture Jesus is painting is that there is an intimate, interwoven, interconnected relationship between him and the Father. And the interesting thing in the wordplay there is that these words that I'm speaking to you, they're not my own. They're the Father not speaking, but working in me. And then, of course, Jesus goes on to say, you know, uh, I and Father one. And, and he covered that in a lot of different ways. But let me keep reading just for a second. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So he was giving the disciples the option. He was encouraging them to just believe in his intimacy with the Father, in his actual interconnection, his union with the Father. But he also said, if you can't believe on that, at least believe because of the works. Because then you'll be seeing what the Father's heart is for you. Then you'll be seeing what the Father's doing. All right, so I, I thought that was kind of inclusive and kind of wonderful. These guys had walked with him for three years. He's going to be crucified in about 24 hours. Uh, and, and so it, it's, a, it's a, I don't know, I just thought it was cool. So believe me that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly. And then he transitions into this thing that has troubled most of us, I would say, for a long time. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I, in my, early in my ministry, I started calling that the blank check. And, and I came up through Assemblies of God, uh, started as a Southern Baptist, got filled with the Spirit. That created an awkward situation. And, uh, and I, I ended up in Assemblies of God. First, I, I went to a Nazarene church, and uh, uh, I had done a bunch of research because I was kind of a book nerd. And, uh, and I, I, under, I saw the beginnings of the Pentecostal church, the Nazarene. So I go, well, that's great. That'll, that'll help. We went into this Nazarene church. The pastor's name was Dave Reed. He was just a wonderful man. I love him. And so Vicky and I were in there, we were real young, and uh, after about two weeks, he called me in his office and he said, Larry, I, I think you have a false notion about us. And I said, oh, he said, did you, did you look into our history with 
Parnum and various people. I said, yeah, I did. And he goes, you know that, that Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene stuff? He says, unfortunately, we kept women not wearing pants and not reading newspapers on Sunday, but we got rid of all the spirit stuff. <laughs> and he was actually apologizing. He was apologizing. And I go, well, Dave, I go, that's not, you know, I kind of noticed that. And I go, I just got filled with spirit. He says, no, I understand why you're here and all that. Um, so we stayed there for a couple more years, and then the Lord uh, just showed me that I needed some more. So we ended up going to an Assemblies of God school. And from there, pastored in Assemblies for a little while. They wouldn't let us start a church back in California when we returned from Oregon from school because just the way they did districts. So I ended up in the vineyard for about 10 years, pioneered vineyard church. And uh, so that's that, that path. Now, in that path, this passage of Scripture, this promise, you'll do greater works than I do, it creates a lot of stress. It creates a lot of anticipation. It creates a lot of... Now, I think it should create a lot of faith, but it, just to be honest, that it didn't. It, it, it created more like, I don't know why I can't just shoot lightning out of my fingers and straighten everything out, you know? <laughs> but, uh, and, and so I wish I could say I'd come here today to explain to you what Jesus, in fact, meant there. I think he meant what he said, and I just think we've got a ways to go to get there. So uh, anyway, this goes on down into what has become like one of the very favorite uh, scriptures in our church. Uh, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then later, of course, Jesus goes on and says, these are my commandments, that you love me and you love one another. So that's not a reversion back to a bunch of law or anything like that. Verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Now that's an interesting concept. Uh, Harold uh, came to our church after a, 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 like the first real visit that he came. And I had been going through all this stuff, and I had been thinking about that. And then Harold uh, talked about the focal point of history being the marriage feast of the Lamb. And it really cleared up a lot of thoughts for me. This was several years ago. And so then I remember sitting there and saying, Lord, I understand all this stuff. I understand all this stuff. But uh, I see you in the marriage feast of the Lamb. I see your fathers, the host of the wedding. Where's the Holy Spirit? He said, well, Larry, I'm in you trying to teach you how to be a bride. <laughs> so that made a lot of sense, you know. That kind of cleared things up. So uh, this forever relationship is pretty special. It, it's, a, it's another kind of intimacy that I don't think we think about. The Holy Spirit is committed to be in and with us for eternity, not just to do a task. And this started opening the door, in my mind, to union and to oneness with God and some understandings that, that the things that had been defined for me as part of the redemptive work wasn't just to fix me and cut me loose. It was to draw me into the intimacy that, that mankind was created to have. Let us make man in our image. And, and, and I believe that, that we are there. I know Robert has talked some with you guys about um, the concept of image bearing uh, NT right. We've been on a big old 10 week thing. I thought that's what I was going to teach about, as a matter of fact, when I got back here and then the Lord had something different in mind. But that idea of, of carrying the image of God, that is what you all do. That is what we do. Now, we may carry it poorly, or we may carry it excellently, or we may vary from one end of the spectrum to the other, depending on a, a lot of factors. But we are image bearers. We are image bearers, image carriers. And um, that leads a little bit to, so there's a theological point N.T. Wright articulates that helps us understand some stuff. But I think that he stops a tiny bit short on one thing, and I say that with great reverence because I don't compare myself to N.T. Wright at all. His accomplishments and his stuff is amazing. Uh, but the idea of, of image bearing, I don't know if, did, did you share with them the angled mirror illustration that N.T. Wright ever talked about? Okay, so N.T. Wright helps people understand this idea of image bearing by saying it's like an angled mirror. And he says when he was a little kid and he was sick, his mother would wheel a mirror out in the hall so he could be in bed recovering, but he could see down the hall into the kitchen so he could see her and she could keep an eye on him. So the illustration that he uses, which is a really good one to get people into this concept, is that as image bearers, as Adam and Eve were set in the, in the Garden of Eden, and as the Garden of Eden was an overlap of this intersection between heaven and earth, that they were like the image that was put in most temples of the day. And they, they were designed at an angle to take the glory of God and reflect it out to creation through ruling and reigning and through 
those kinds of things, you know, Adam naming the animals and all this, keeping the garden. And then they were also the, the vessels through whom creation's worship was to be lifted up to God. That's the angled mirror idea. The strength of that is I really love the position it puts us in. And that we, have a, that we, we are priests to God and priests to the world, servants to God, servants to the world. That, that, I think that's a cool way to think. The disadvantage to that is it's based around a reflection and not per se a presence. And so that's kind of the shortfall. And, and theology always does that. It gives you one good way to look at it, but then you have a difficult thing. That was really a very interesting thing you said. So here's the part that we don't want to get in the way of. So I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. All right, so now we're talking about more than a reflection. We're talking about a presence and a union or a connection or a marriage or a something. We, you know, again, we're, we're, what words do we use? You have, to, you have to think about it, but it's a presence with us. And then it goes on and it says, that's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. I'm sorry. I will not leave you as orphans. So Jesus just got through saying, I will ask the Father. So here is the distinct individual in the incarnation, the Son, the Word, Jesus. I will ask the Father, there's the distinct Father, distinction, and he will send you another helper. But then Jesus said, I will not leave you. I will come to you. So you know, tr Trinitarian theology and all that stuff, it's, 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 it doesn't have a proof text. It has a proof person. It has a proof, you know, and I, I've heard people talk about the early church fathers as they were struggling with the doctrine of the Trinity, which took them about 400 years to get nailed down a little bit. They, um, they just kept being compelled to do that because of, who Jesus was and, and how he related to the Father and the Spirit and all that kind of stuff. So then it gets to this one. So I will not leave you uh, as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And then in that day, now, in that day, we could project that off to the future, which uh, early in my thought we did, a lot of futures eschatology, especially, you know, assemblies and stuff like that. But I think in that day is when Jesus sent us the one to help us. And I think Pentecost represents a very significant moment in history that we can look back. So it was a little bit like what you were saying about we can, we can always look forward or we can always look back or we can look at now. And I think now we are in that day where you will know that I am in my Father now, he already said that earlier, right? Do you believe that I am in my Father? Nobody, does anybody in this room not believe that Jesus is one with his Father? No. I, I've never talked to a group of Christians that had a hard time. I know there are some that, you know, non trinitarian whatever. But then he goes with the same breath in the same sentence. In that day, you will know that I am my Father. You are in me and I'm in you. Has anyone ever had a hard time believing and literally relating to the fact that Jesus was in you at a given point in time or that you are in him. I have to say that I do. That's the, the, the rub. That's the struggle. Okay? So, believing that is a part of what I consider to be my opportunity, not my duty, because it's a reality. Certain things, when I'm asked to believe them, they feel like a task or a work or an obligation. And I'm not saying that they aren't those things, but I think that that thought leads us away from the essence of what belief gives us the opportunity to do. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. So anyway, this union, this relationship, this is a big, big deal. Matthew 28 uh, toward the end of the chapter there. How many of you are familiar with the Great Commission? That'll be everybody in the room, right? All right, so now I do this every now and then, and I have a very strong feeling that you're going to blow my illustration. But if you're willing to, to, who would like 
to tell me, tell us, just speak out, what the Great Commission is. Go and make disciples. Okay, keep going. To, to do. Um, yeah, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things that um, that has been taught to them. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Pretty good. You guys agree that that's pretty much the heart of it? Okay. Thank you. You didn't blow my illustration, though. <laughs> I've asked this of lots of people. I asked it to my church back in the day. Uh, my church probably would blow it because I've harped on this some. The Great Commission sa says two other important things that I've rarely heard anybody recount. And I want you to think about why when I share them. It starts not with going to all the world. It starts with all authority has been given to me. Therefore. And it ends with Lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And, and uh, I'm certainly not trying to embarrass you. That is the way we all think. We pick up what Jesus said as a duty. And we just are blinded to what he presents and proclaims as a resource. All authority is given to me. Now, that has to have something to do with what it says in John, that if you believe, greater works than I do will you do. And all that authority was, was in the context of Jesus knowing I'm going away to be with the Father. And, and this is the only way that I can think that you, you can't accuse Jesus of, of misrepresenting the truth with that statement, because he said, it's good for you that I go. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking daily with Jesus for three years and then him saying, hey, it's a good thing that I'm leaving. No, it can't be. Yes, it can be. Because of this, this union, this big thing that pulls heaven to earth, this fulfillment of the Lord's Prayer that we are a part of through this, this ministry. So those two aspects are the part that I want to focus a little bit on believing as an opportunity rather than believing as a duty. Um, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. And then, lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And we get a glimpse of that in Peter's and uh, John's encounter with the lame man in the book of Acts, where uh, he said, look at me. And, uh, you know, da, 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 and then rise up and walk. The guy rises up and walks, and then everybody's looking at him. And he goes, why do you look at me? Why do you look at me? It was by, by power in the name of this Jesus, you know, that, that, that did this. So it's not explained theologically. It's just, we just see it. We just see it happening. And we've experienced, I know everybody in this room has had one or more of those experiences where Jesus was with you doing something. And it was, you knew it was him. Everybody thought it was you. He was trying to convince you after the fact, no, it's you too. We're, we're in this thing together. Yeah. But, but, but so, so that's that. Now, this is where then I want to go, and I want to uh, go back to 18, Matthew 18. And I so appreciated the word uh, that the sister had about being a child. Uh, a few years ago, the Lord just really struck me with this verse, unless you turn and become like a little child, you won't see the kingdom. And uh, it, it began to define really one of the hallmarks of my thoughts about God and about ministry. And so we really do our best to uh, value being a child, to, to keep it in front of us, the characteristics of a child. And I even mentioned, uh, you, you said something about believing everything like a child does. And it, it was just, it was perfect. So I, I, I'm excited the way chapter 18 starts with that child thing. But the verse I want to get to is over here. And um, let's go in verse 18. Uh, Jesus is talking about forgiveness. He's talking about the 99 plus 1. He's talking about uh, the nature of the kingdom. If a brother sins, show him. This is up in verse 15. But in verse 18, he says this. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And again, verse 19, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything 
that they may ask it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Now, that's the lead up that connects this thought and the next one I'm going to share with you. Uh, connects it back to what Jesus said, if, if you believe in me, you'll do greater works. And so, th again, this is sort of another version of that unqualified promise. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do it. And if two or more of you gather in my name. Now, let me just ask a question, because the Lord was sort of funny with me when I, I, I realized how elementary this was. And um, Has anyone here, do you think you have consciously come together this morning in the name of Jesus. Just raise your hand if you have. Yeah. Yeah. You've intentionally gathered in some way in the, to fill that role of the name of Jesus. Not as a duty, but just I'm coming for Jesus' sake. I'm coming to Jesus. Okay. So I, I was intentional in doing that too. And, and the Lord said, see, so there's, there's only got to be one other person for this rest of the work. <laughs> I go, all right, cool. Yeah, it's cool, you know. So... Uh, so here's, here's what he says next. Um, verse 20, and this is the heart of the whole matter. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. All right. Here's where I want us to think for a moment about duty being an opportunity. I mean about belief being an opportunity rather than a duty. Um, you can read through Galatians and you can find out how important believing is. You can read through Romans and there are several situations in there. Uh, I was thinking about Romans 10, for instance, about um, uh, if you believe in your heart and confess you about Jesus and Lord, you'll be saved because with man's heart he believes unto righteousness. Uh, the idea of the first verse I introduced where Jesus answered the question, what must we do to work the works of God? And they said, you must believe in two. But, so many of us have grown up under the influence of a general presentation of the gospel that tells us to believe in something, to, to agree with something, to believe in line. What I, what I wanted to use the concept of belief for here is that we simply believe what Jesus said. And then we begin to let that belief create an opportunity to experience life differently with him. So it, he, he says, if two or more of you gather in my name, I am there in your midst. Now this is where I've run out of how to teach because there's no more theology involved. I just need to suggest, what if we believe that? What if we give ourselves to literally believe? that you, Jesus, are here with us. So I started a mental exercise, and I do this quite a bit. Uh, what would it be like if you were really here? Uh, I appreciated that you, you mentioned the concept of ascending, uh, ascensions and stuff like that, and, that, and you, I thought you characterized it perfectly. It's a little bit of a rough thing to do for a guy who wants to keep his feet on the ground. Um, we, we do this kind of stuff at our church, but I'm not really that pleased with the, with the idea of ascension uh, that as a word. It's one of those theological words. I would think more in terms of an encounter. Uh, you know, the, the meeting that you guys announced about an encounter meeting. To me, that's what we're talking about. But even encounter leaves it a little bit slow. This would be one we'd have to have those conversations on. Because an encounter is like something that happens when you're walking down the street and you see somebody you know. But this is something different. This is like a recognition of the manifest presence of Jesus, a recognition of the fundamental result of the work of the cross and the resurrection, that I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth, you know? And so uh, I guess what I'm just presenting to you is take some time periodically and find out if your mechanism of belief, you know, the action of faith, is somehow been limited or attracted to just agreement about certain things rather than a belief that is used to recognize the promise of his presence literally in your home. And, and this is the beauty. If, if two or more, now I, I believe that the Lord 
is with us according to the Great Commission individually as well. So I'm not, I'm not saying that you're stuck if you're by yourself. But, but what, what I am saying is that this is such a profound promise. I, the word through whom everything was made, I'm with you. There's two of you that just gather in my name. In another place, if, if any agree is touching a thing, it'll be done for them. I spent so much time trying to figure out the particular nature of that agreement so I could leverage God into keeping that promise. Shame on me for that, but that's how I thought. In other words, my emphasis was totally on the wrong syllable. <laughs> and, and what I've come to realize is that all Jesus has ever promised is himself. Because that's all any of us ever needed. He is there. You said this. If he's in the room or somebody said it, the, it's now. It's now. It's now. And if, if we have somebody that we need to pray for for healing, does, oh, you said it during worship about Jesus. I think he would make the difference. Anyway, I don't know. I just was all caught up in what was going on. What there. Up there, man. Yeah, it's, yeah, me neither. You can tell. You got robbed. Yeah, yeah. I got robbed. But, but you see, this, this is like as far from being clever and profound as it could possibly be. It's just simply, if two of us gather in his name with an intent to represent him, to be with him, to say, he is in our midst. So where is he? He is here in a, in a very real sense. And so the, the reference to the ascension situation is, what if we understood when Paul said, you know, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you could see the height and depth. What if we just go, all right, I'm going to close these eyes. And I'm going to open and trust, Lord, the, the Holy Spirit, that you're with me forever. You're going to open the eyes of my heart. Show me where Jesus is. So I did that during... During, after you talked and when you started re-singing that song. And I saw Jesus sitting on that bench, just with a big smile on his face, his hand on his knees. <laughs> then I saw Jesus, and I think this was instructive. I saw him sitting on a throne in the heavenlies and just myriad upon myriad of people there, like you'd see that vision from Hebrews 13. And I said, Lord, why, why both? He goes, well, I'm at both. He said, that's why it works when only two people get together. I can be in their midst. And two other people can be in the next room, and I can be in their midst too. You know, It's good for you that I go away, because I won't leave you as orphans. So that's, that's really the whole of the message that I, that I felt I should bring, is, uh, how would I put it? If we're going to use this amazing gift of faith that the Father has given us, he's deposited faith in the heart of every man. If we're going to use this gift of faith, we're going to actively believe as a result of that. Why not believe in the most fundamental of the promises? And I'm not, I'm not saying don't believe in something else, and I don't think you're wasting belief if you believe in, you know, because there's a lot of things here that are revealed. There's a lot of things the Lord has spoken privately, individually to you through professing stuff. But what about this one? What about the little? It doesn't say in church either. I mean, we could gather at a coffee shop or we could gather around the deathbed of a, of a saint, yeah. right? And Jesus is in the midst. Again, you talk about redundancy. Not only your presence, but this precious yeah. woman is sharing about her, her husband's passing. I mean, oh my gosh, if that's not exactly what I'm talking about. What if we, how can we do that? How? You know, Paul knew it was an issue because he kept praying that you would understand. He prayed twice in Ephesians. One time that we would understand his inheritance in the saints. That's a weird thing. Not my inheritance in him, but Jesus' inheritance in us. The role that we play in his sight. The role that we play in the gift of victory that the Father is honoring him with, which is us. You know, the church of which he's the head and all this kind of stuff. And, and then... His just sheer presence in our midst, literal presence in our midst. So when, you know, you guys are coaching everybody to take those 10 seconds or those 20 seconds. If that were to be a gathering, not just for the 
the, the sustaining and strengthening of that marriage, but in the name of Jesus. You know, yeah. like, like I could hold my wife and say, honey, I, I just, I recognize who you are in Christ for me and what I am for you. And, and that we're here in his name. Wow. Then he's there. He's there. Um, you know, Paul Young always says that there's, uh, you're never really alone. The smallest group you're ever in is four. <laughs> it's you and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, no, now, now think about the implications of thinking like that when you feel isolated. And the feelings of isolation are the primary enemy of, I mean, the primary tool of the enemy to right. keep us separated, keep us going out. So, really, that's, that's it, is that what if we are conscious about using our ability to believe, to believe this super fundamental. Now, here's what I think. I think if we can believe and engage in some way with the eyes of our heart, with our imagination, uh, maybe literally, uh, as, as her, her precious husband saw Jesus standing at the foot of the bed, Think of the questions that all this kind of stuff goes by. You mean you actually have time, Lord, the king of the universe, ruling and reigning until all your enemies are put on your feet to be at the foot of my bed when I'm passing? Yes. You have time to be here with me when Robert and I are having coffee or online? You know, yes. Yeah, I do. I do. I am, as a matter of fact. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Then, all of a sudden, embracing the, the, the duty part in the middle of going to the nations and make disciples... Well, okay, I can do that with you. Or, if you believe in me, those who believe in me, they'll do greater works than I do. Because I go to be with the Father, and later he goes on to say, you know, the Father and I are going to make our abode in you. <laughs> well, that explains why that's a, even a possibility. But if I embrace that as a duty to believe in, I, I just find it difficult. But if I embrace him, use my faith to embrace him, in the real here and now, the real now. So anyway, that's, that's kind of the thing that I felt like the Lord wanted me to admonish you to. And I, it was so confirmed by what you said. It was so confirmed by this the precious story back there. So it was just amazing in worship. I guess that's all I'm saying. It's just use the gift of belief for the most fundamental of promises that he is with us. Yes. He will never leave us or forsake us. Amen. And he is literally, especially when we gather together with intentionality, he is here. So to close, I would encourage you to close these eyes and just say, Lord, show me where you are here because we have gathered in your name. And then if you want to come up and shout it out or shout it out from back there, that's totally cool. And... Uh, Anybody see anything? I just feel I'm sitting right here. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Right next to us. Right next to me. Yeah. yeah. It's, I immediately saw him sitting right next to me, holding my hand. It's yeah. cool. He just leaned right into me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the reality of your words, Lord. The reality of your promise. Thank you that you didn't write a check too big for you to cash. We don't understand the dynamics, and I, I honestly think that it's confusing if we try to. Um, but thank you. Thank you for your words. I encourage uh, husbands and wives to do this for sure. I encourage you to take a few minutes um, when you're with friends to do this. And I will confess what I saw when I just, just, just now, I'm not trying to break the thing, but I closed my eyes and I asked the Lord, and I saw him sitting next to all of you guys. It was like crazy. It was weird. I didn't even know how to share it, but I appreciate you guys sharing that way. So, Holy Spirit, I thank you for the reality of your work to make room in our hearts so that Jesus can dwell there by faith. I thank you, Jesus, for your promise to never leave us or forsake us, to be with us, to not leave us as orphans. We reject 
any hint of that title or status. And Jesus, I, I thank you for endorsing ministry through us at the most fundamental level by saying that we're two or more gathered in your name. You were there in the midst. And I cannot, and I know that these here can't either, I can't think of a circumstance in life that we would find ourselves in being required to minister where if we were consciously aware of your presence in the midst of us, we would not fearlessly engage in that ministry. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So that's it. Praise God. Awesome. Thank you. Good work. See why I love this guy? Yeah. <laughs> love hanging out with him? It just... Here, in case you still got a dry throat. Um, I'll share more about this next week, but the, over these last couple of weeks, it's been a, just time of encounter for me. And one of the things that in that, like this concept right here of being able to believe that the Lord is actually here. I mean, even as husbands and wives, if when the relationship starts to get tense, what if we just stood before each other and acknowledged that the Lord is here? What would that alone shape, reshape our heart? Um, the other thing in these, as Larry was talking and, and the things that have happened this morning, um, and as I said, I'll talk more about this later, but I've become, over the last couple of weeks, very keenly aware of the fact that, one, obviously we have angels that are with us. And then there are angels that are on general assignment around us that we have levels of interaction with. So the two things that I've become more aware of is, one... Um, and I don't remember the scripture right here, but I'll have it for next week. But the angels are looking in on what we're doing with interest. Because there's certain things that we're getting that they don't. They get them through us. So the angels that are assigned to me when we have these types of encounters, the, the picture that I, I've been seeing over and over again is my angels leaning in leaning into my words you know just leaning in in anticipation you know and the other thing you know for for the cop family and what you guys are are walking through right now what what a great what a great testimony this morning that was Hebrews tells us that we're surrounded by the cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses, I'm beginning to see, are not, um, oh, what was it? what's the word? Um, they're not faceless. The cloud of witnesses that are around me are different than the cloud of witnesses that are around you. And in Hebrews, when it walks us through, you know, that statements of faith. And then it says, and seeing that, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, what cloud? The ones I just gave you their names. My cloud is, <laughs> is different than yours. Your cloud changed in the last couple of days. But that cloud, they're not witnesses like they're just standing there staring at us like, duh. 
the cloud that's around me, the cloud that's around you, are leaning in. They're leaning into the, the revelation that's starting to come up. They're leaning into where my heart is aligning. They're leaning in and cheering us all. So seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, both angelic and ancestral. So he's with us. We're two or more gathered. Jesus is in our midst and the cloud is around us. So seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud, let us run. Let's run. Because they're running with us. And there's some other things in the cloud that I'll talk about later, but right now that's it for today. Let's stand. Jesus, we thank you that you are in our midst. Lord, I pray this week as we depart from here, that this week be filled with the experimentation of this knowledge. That at the end of this week, we'll see clearer than we do right now. That at the end of this week, we will have walked through pieces of, pieces of our assignment at a different level relational with you. And at least for me, I say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief that I might see the things that you're calling me and inviting me to see. Build my belief. As only you can, as only your love can, as only your presence can. that we see. Amen.